You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping and two free gifts this Father's Day when you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit with promo code GATORS. Head over to manscaped.com and purchase yours today. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Busy time in Gator Nation. Busy time here at Gators Breakdown. Some good, good news on the recruiting front. Coming to you not long after wide receiver from Jacksonville, Trinity Christian, Marcus Burke chooses the Gators over Georgia. And Donovan McMillan also committed a couple days ago as well. Some good news on the recruiting front. We'll get into all that here on Gators Breakdown and continue our championship rewind as we look at the 2008 season. But as I said, busy time, busy time here. I hope you all had a chance to catch the TV presentation of Championship Rewind, the 2006 version this past Saturday. And we took a look back at the 2006 National Championship game. Uh, news for Jacks and Gators Breakdown teamed up through a virtual watch party at the same time. Gators Breakdown listeners Tony Aguilini, Daniel Cannon, Ryan Hinckley, Dustin Woolbright joined in as we relived that game in that season during the broadcast. We'll do it again this Saturday. Will Miles will hop on this one. Uh, and, and if you'd like to hop on and uh, get involved as well, sign up at news for jacks Insider. Go to newsforjacks.com and you'll have a chance to be involved uh, as well. That's where you can find news for jacks Insider. But again, this coming Saturday, July 25th, Gators Breakdown and Channel 4, the local station, will be broadcasting Championship Rewind. The 2008 title game will air from 8 to 10 p.m. You can also stream it at newsforjacks.com if you'd rather watch that way or if you're not in the Jacksonville area. The virtual watch party will start at 7.30 p.m. on newsforjacks.com. Remember, that's also where you can find Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there at newsforjacks.com. News for Jack's coverage of the Gators as well. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter, and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So there, you know, before we get an extended look at that 2008 National Championship game and that season from Tate Casey and Brandon James, let's dive into the crazy roller coaster of recruiting. Good news for the Gators today, as I said a couple days ago. A little bit of bad news, too, right before all that. But, uh, look, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to start with the good news, of course. The most recent news in the recruitment of Jacksonville wide receiver Marcus Burke as he commits to the Gators over the Bulldogs, the 223rd ranked player on the 24-7 sports composite, the 40th wide receiver, the 32nd ranked player in the state of Florida. 24-7 sole rankings, their own rankings, a bit higher, uh, has him as the 168th player in, in the country. While Rivals has no national ranking for him, 24-7's only rankings have him as the 22nd wide receiver compared to 47 on Rivals. And 24-7 has him the 22nd overall player in the state of Florida. 
while Rivals has him as the 50th. The uh, six foot three, uh, you know, offers great size. Uh, you know, we we know Moen and Billy Gonzalez like those big body wide receivers, given their history. 180 pounds, so probably can tack on a bit more size if they want him to stay outside uh, in that big physical role uh, most of the time. But you know, if if you know if he's still using inside. Uh, with his agility, then maybe not tack on too much weight, uh, but plenty of speed, as you can see in his highlights, ability to, to on that go route is he he's certainly a deep threat, outrunning defenders there. And we know, you know, we know in the Dan Mullen offense, he'll have to be probably a bit more physical in in order to be a a, a blocker at that position as as well. You know, not just a wide receiver for catches in Dan Mullen's offense. You got to be able to block uh, as well as we know that. So big body here uh, and the Gators uh, get, getting a good one. So. You know, taking a look back at his history and, and the history of his recruitment, he visited Florida back on that junior day in early March and looked really good for Florida then. I was kind of connected to it pretty close there. He was ready to commit to Florida there. His parents wanted him to um, take all of his visits there, wanted to make sure this was before COVID hit and all that, and the plan was to, to go take all of his visits. And that plan was kind of the same plan just a couple months ago until everything's, you know, mostly shut down there. I was... Uh, in talks with a middleman of shooting and editing and producing his commitment videos. So uh, that's how you know close it was for, for Florida. And then, you know, um, Georgia c come about. Uh, he, he was going to take all of his visits, uh, visited Georgia previously, but that was going to be one more school uh, when he was going to take his official visits. And with that, you know, with him waiting to commit, uh, like I said, Florida was going to be the pick in the spring if he could have committed right away. His parents wanted him to wait. Um, but, you know, that allowed Georgia to, to creep up and, and get in the mix. And uh, we, Sunday night, he comes out and says he's going to commit on Monday at 3.30. And there was a lot of question of, of where he was going to go. As I said, I was a little connected to it. Uh, there were plans uh, to, to maybe do his commitment video. And then this kind of was a big surprise uh, that he fast-forwarded the, the, the timeline here. So, yeah, big, big, big news. And uh, just, I mean, can't state how much uh, I think this one this one means to Florida just because uh, of all the questions surrounding it the day before. Believe me, messages were going left and right, and uh, you know, nobody knew uh, where he was going to go. And uh, as I said, uh, we'll, we'll read his message uh, right here. First and foremost, I would like to thank God for blessing me with the ability to play the sport I love. I would also like to thank my coaches, teammates, and supporters for guiding me along this process. Last but certainly not least, I would like to thank my family and my parents for sacrificing, uh, helping me live out my dream. With that being said, I would like to thank all the coaches who recruited me, but I can say, but I can now say that I have found a home. I am 100% committed to the University of Florida. That's from Marcus Burke there. So, good part is to, you know, Florida needed some good offensive <laughs> commits here. You know, defensive side of the ball has surprisingly been better recruited side, even with an offensive-minded head coach like Dan Mullen. Um, not that I think, you know, it's, it's a bad thing because Mullen's going to get the offense figured out. But, you know, maybe the, the gap in defensive recruiting compared to offensive recruiting was a little bit surprising there. So, you know, and how much it you know, seems to be easier to get the bigger names, the bigger-time playmakers on the defensive side uh, compared to the offense. But uh, that was another reason, you know, you're getting a top uh, wide receiver playmaker here on the heels of, you know, Frazier and Henderson um, uh, last cycle. Uh, so, you know, Florida's getting some big-time uh, wide receivers here. And, 
a lot of you would uh, like to know, I've been talking to Bill Sykes. Uh, uh, a lot of you know him as the five-star nerd. Uh, he used to be on, on Gators Breakdown. He still lurks on the boards a little bit. Uh, he's a busy, busy man, uh, but still keeps up with recruiting uh, a bit behind the scenes. And, you know, this was a big get for Florida, just in the state of Florida, getting a top prospect in the state of Florida, getting to go to the Gators. We know Florida has struggled there, keeping the, the top end uh, there. You could not let this one get away, especially with, you know, what you if you would – want to say Florida led. Florida did lead for, for a long time, so it would have hurt to, to watch him go away. But, you know, Bill thought, uh, you know, this is also a good, a good part and thinking this as well of players in Jacksonville. You know, it's a friendly Gator area. <laughs> it's, where, it's where I live. Uh, it's still dominated by orange and blue, but a lot of schools have come in, and you know, especially at Trinity Christian, come in and, and, and pick their players. When, you know, Ohio State has gotten their fair share, and, and those guys just you know, have been known not to necessarily go to Florida. So uh, Bill sent this and wanted me to share it. He says, Florida hasn't signed a blue-chip player from the greater Jacksonville area since C.C. Jefferson in 2015. They haven't signed one from Duval County since David Sharp in 2014. Uh, Florida hasn't landed a player from Trinity Christian in Jackson's most champ era, Nick Washington, in 2013, and Kavaris Harkless in 2014. The school has produced a quarter of the greater Jacksonville area's blue chip prospects since 2008 and three recent five stars. So good for Florida uh, to get back into the uh, Trinity Christian uh, Academy there so he also says counting montgomery as an athlete burke would give florida three blue chip wide receivers for the first time since 2016 when they signed cleveland hammond and swain so big time there in the connection also to jacksonville uh kind of going back to last year as well was watching in a way kind of a similar recruiting angle story of one Carson Beck, the quarterback in Mandarin last year. We heard Florida, we heard Florida, we heard Florida, Georgia gets involved, and lo and behold, he's going to Georgia. So kind of the similar same thing in a way, almost similar here to, to Burke. Uh, you know, Beck, it, once you kind of heard he liked Florida, it, that, that recruitment sped up a bit um, it, from the time you heard that he liked Florida from the time he eventually committed to Georgia. This one took some time for Burke. You knew he liked Florida for a long time. Last couple months, we've heard Georgia, and then he's going to make a commitment, and we kind of didn't know where. So, I mean, this is you – know, I don't want to make it too much out of it, but you know, this was a good, good, you know, small victory over, over Kirby Smart in, in, in recruiting here uh, for Dan Mullen. This is a player Georgia wanted. Don't let them spin it that, that way, that this is not one that they wanted. It is. Uh, they, they, they wanted Marcus Burke. They've been heavy after him, and you know this was one that, as I said, in the state of Florida, in a friendly city of Jacksonville, uh, Georgia's had some good recruiting success here recently, and you were able to, to keep Marcus Burke away from them. So good, good pickup for the Gators. That's one more angle to it of, of why it's pretty good, and there we go. Uh, Marcus Burke is now committed to the, to the university. Oh, Florida. So let's go back to Saturday for some more good news as well as safety Donovan McMillan committed to Florida. Six foot two, 193 pounds safety from Pennsylvania. Now, you know, chose the Gators over Virginia Tech and Texas A&M. Visited Florida on his own a few weeks ago. And, you know, and you kind of wondered, he, he did this little <laughs> round trip of, um, what's it, Texas A&M, Virginia Tech, and, and, and Florida and ended up you know, choosing Florida there 
uh, in the end. I'm trying to get his uh, remarks here, too, of what he said. So he commits to Florida there in a little lengthy um, a message that he posted on social media. And this is from uh, Donovan McMillan. I was taught at a very young age, uh, which do you choose to be, the hammer or the nail, the hunter or the hunted? I chose to be the hammer who hunts anyone in my path. Throughout this process, starting from the day I laced up the cleats and put on the singlet, my family guided me on the right path along with my community and close friends to support those teachings. There are countless people to think that I can't even begin to list out, and I am truly thankful to all of you. I want to especially acknowledge head coach T.J. Plack and the entire Peters Township varsity football coaching staff for helping me develop until, until the player that I am today. I also want to thank my mom, dad, three younger brothers for their unconditional love during this decision-making process. And most importantly, I want to praise God for the blessings he has bestowed upon my body, mind, and spirit. Today, this Saturday, July 18th, I have decided to commit to the University of Florida. Head coach Dan Mullen and his staff relentlessly recruited me, and I thank them for believing in this wrestler from McMurray, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. I will continue my gator. I will continue to work my gator tail off and uphold the tradition of the real DBU. Go Gators! That is from Donovan McMillan as he committed on Saturday. So now there, for, for him as the player here, you know, there's a, a big disparity between. The recruiting services on McMillan at 24/7 Sports thinks much higher of him than, than rivals for the time being. Uh, rivals taking them, you know, they're taking their time during this pandemic rating and, and re-rating, evaluating players, you know. But on the 24/7 Sports composite, where they combine the two services along with ESPN, the composite, com, the composite has McMillan the 377th ranked player, the 26th safety in the class of 2020. 24-7 sports own rankings, their sole rankings, has McMillan as the 145th ranked player in the country. Uh, so you're getting a top 150 player here in McMillan, 7th safety in the nation. The only rating Rivals has is a 19th ranked player in Pennsylvania. So make of that what you will, but uh, of course 24-7 sports looks to be very high on McMillan. I reached out to Corey Bender of the Rivals Gator site as well today uh, with this Gators territory, and he says you know there may be a position ranking uh, coming for McMillan in the near future, so look for that uh, on, on the Rivals site. So now McMillan has a big frame for his safety. It's going to be very interesting to see where he ultimately ends up in his career. You just heard in his message he, he mentions DBU. Uh, so you know, looking at the potential of McMillan, and you know, if he stays in a secondary role, I'm looking you know, at a potential type of you know, Keanu Neal, Marcel Harris, you know, that bigger type safety that can basically be another linebacker, play in the box, but still versatile enough to to cover and chase. Like the potential there, but there's you know also the thought he goes into a pure linebacker. You know, either way, he's a very physical player. He, he doesn't shy away from contact and, and is really good at, at breaking it down, breaking down a play in front of him. So you know either way with that profile, look to, look for him to be closer to, to the line of scrimmage uh, when on the field in either position. Uh, you know like to see him become the type I mentioned earlier, and that is the potential. But you know, but he, he offers more as an in box type safety, closer to the line of scrimmage. So he could go into that linebacker role. So that'd be interesting uh, to look at there. But as I say, you know, going to his uh, message, he, he is mentioning DBU there. So maybe the plan is, you know, probably maybe start at safety, kind of see maybe where body type ends up. If he has to move to linebacker, eventually he can do that. And then, uh, of course, uh, not not all good news on the recruiting front. As last Friday, you know, cornerback Clinton Burton 
flipped from Florida to Boston College. And I, I told you guys about the possibility of him decommitting a few weeks ago, uh, but it had no idea <laughs> that it would include a flip to Boston College. Uh, Burton was Florida's second highest rated commit in the class of 2021. So it, it hurts in that fashion, but Florida's recruited well in the secondary. Plenty of options there. Uh, this class, Kamarable, Coxon, Jordan Young, Jahiri, and going back to last class, Jahiri Rogers, Ethan Pouncey, Avery Helm, and guys that could probably play more of that outside cornerback role. Don't get me wrong. You, you never want to lose a player uh, of that stature, but there are options. Uh, Jason Marshall's still out there, too, uh, as long as Florida can keep him away from Alabama. Uh, they seem to be trending lately here, so... You know, looking at recruiting now, speaking of Marshall, him being from that Miami Palmetto uh, school, you know, another top target, top target there. Defensive lineman Leonard Taylor looks to also be trending away from the Gators. Uh, Taylor was long thought uh, to be having the Gators leading, but released a final two of Florida and Miami. And many think as of as of right now uh, that Miami would be the pick. So still some work uh, till, till, till August, till uh, we get the decision there. So hopefully Florida can maybe make up some, some ground that many see need to be made up uh, there. Safety Corey Collier from Miami is going to announce August, you know, from that Miami Palmetto area as well. That school, uh, Corey Collier, going to announce August 10th between Florida, LSU, and Miami. He announced that today on Monday. Uh, I think this is more of a Florida-LSU battle, but Miami's certainly in it now. Uh, and look, you guys know if you've listened to this and, and, and listened to the recruiting talk and, and me on Twitter as well, I've long said this 2021 class – Largely depends on what happens with the recruit with the recruits from Miami Palmetto. August is a big month there uh, with the decisions of Collier and Taylor. I mean, Florida can't strike out altogether, you know, especially when they were in such great shape early on with a few of these prospects. You know, a long way to go uh, until signing day, but August will be big here as we watch where Taylor and Collier uh, decide to commit and, and eventually uh, where Marshall ends up uh, as well. So, looking at it overall here. Uh, the, with the latest commitments of Burke and McMillan, the loss of Burton, Florida has, you know, sitting right now at 10th in the 24-7 sports composite with 21 commits. Not much room left in the class if it, if it stands, that is. You know, that means no more decommitments and uh, maybe, you know, some processing going, going on. We'll see how that goes. But you know, as we head into August right now, 10th on the 24-7 sports composite. Um, and, you know, just uh, well, not much room left in, in this class as we head in. As I just discussed there with all these players, plenty of options uh, for Florida to, to move up a little bit. It really needs to hit on these higher-end guys if they want to make a big splash with so little spots left. So that'll do it for recruiting. Good news for the Gators. Absolutely good news for the Gators. And uh, getting two big, uh, two big commits there in Burke and McMillan. So uh, moving on, before we wrap up our Championship Rewind series, Support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. Guys, you know, some of the beaches are open out there still. You can enjoy the pool, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure you look good while having fun in the sun. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. The Perfect Package 3.0 Kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those in need of a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust the settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. And be sure to use the Manscaped Crop Cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. 
Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Because chafing can be painful when you're wearing that bathing suit all day. you also find the Crop Reviver, a below-the-belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step and smell great. When you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit at Manscaped.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATORS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATORS at manscaped.com. And all right, here we go with the final installment of Championship Rewind as we go back and relive Florida's 2008 National Championship with Tate Casey and Brandon James. 2008, kind of much of the same storyline in a way. You're going against the Heisman Trophy winner and Sam Bradford this time in an Oklahoma offense scoring over 50 points a game. How much was made in this game going against a, an offense <laughs> that could not be stopped? I'm a junior at that point, one of the leaders on the team. That point being, what, three years in with Coach Meyer, supreme confidence. You know what I mean? Like, even though we had a slip up during that year, supreme confidence going into the game, we weren't, you know, of course we had respect for them. We knew what they brought to the table, but we just couldn't see a situation where we would lose. Um, and so going into the game, that was our mindset. All bowl practice, that was our mindset. Um, so. You know, we approach the game that way. We were very blessed to be the team that nobody really – they didn't count us out, but they also didn't put too much faith um, put too much faith in us. But I think that in the same sense, the 06 team was the grit, the hard nose, the blue collar. The, o, the 08 team was Hollywood. It, it was – man, they we – were, we were primed for the show, the show, show spotlight. That was what we lived for. And I think when you look at that team and just the mentality that we carried around with us, it, it was almost less of a chip on our shoulder and more of a, you better recognize, because um, we're not, we're not here to let anybody off. Our, our biggest thing, we came for the, sh for the spotlight and we're ready for it. One of those moments uh, of getting back to there, back there uh, after Ole Miss loss, of course, and in, in the famous Tebow promise speech and, you know, the Gators went on a tear the rest of the season. The games wasn't close up until the SEC championship game against Alabama that year. Uh, just a quick uh, a description of, you know, refocusing after that loss and what it took for you guys to get back to the uh, the ultimate spot. It stung a little more with the Ole Miss game because it was at home to a to a team that we knew was lesser opponent, to be quite honest with you. It's not, not really a knock on Ole Miss. We just – they shouldn't have – they should have won that game. When you go back and watch that film, there wasn't really anything spectacular about the Ole Miss game. Very vanilla, um, but, but you know, a handful of plays, uh, a block extra point that mm -hmm. sends a game into overtime at worst. Uh, that's something so routine uh, that should never happen. Uh, it, it, honestly, it's just attention to detail and, and the small things that you take, you know, with a grain of salt and move on. But uh, on the other hand, you also probably wouldn't have made it to the national championship game without taking that that blow to the stomach. So, for us, I think we needed that. It kind of humbled us a little bit and got us right back on track. I think Tebow did a good job with his speech, but I think in the locker room, you have so many different leaders on that team to where everyone kind of just took it upon themselves to kind of lead their group and their position, their position uh, group. And uh, 
you know, when we came back, because we always had walkthrough slash kind of like a seven on seven on Sundays. Coming back that Sunday, we, everyone just refocused. And you could tell the team was different after the loss. Because um, we knew we felt like we should have been undefeated that year. We felt like we were the best team in the nation. And to lose to Ole Miss, you know, that just, you know, everyone felt felt like they let each other down. So, you know, that, that on that Sunday, you could just tell all the focus was different with everybody. You know what I mean? And, again, I think Tebow did a good job of letting the media know how everybody felt. But each group had their own set of leaders to kind of push uh, everyone coming into the next week. Honestly, it hurt. I can't, there, there's only a handful of times that I could honestly say it hurt. I mean, I mean, it hurt because we knew exactly – what a perfect season meant to us. I think we knew what kind of team we were and we knew exactly what we were shooting for. Uh, and I think very similar to how 2009 really struck Tim in the Alabama game and the SC, SC championship game. You know, when an opportunity slips away, you know, obviously when a loss is behind you, there's nothing you can do about it. You got to move on to the next. It doesn't take the sting away. Um, there's some games you lose in college football that you honestly walk away and go, man, we, we played terrible. We played bad the whole game, you know, not much you can do about it. That was our, that was one of our worst days. That game probably sat in my stomach for two weeks, even preparing for the next, Mm -hmm. knowing that there was no reason we should have lost that game. Um, And I think that that's what hurt the most, but I'd agree with Brandon. I don't think had Tim given the speech or not, it wasn't going to change the way that that team approached the week after or approached the rest of the season. You know, we've been there before for a team that faced a lot of adversity throughout the year, uh, for a team that, that personally had players that were facing adversity week by week. And, and you, you know, as your brothers, you, you obviously understand and relate and, you, and you're trying to cope through stuff together. Uh, for us, I don't think that that was going to really be uh, too much of a hurdle. Is there a sense that since Sam Bradford was the Heisman winner that you guys want to go out there and prove that maybe Tebow should have been the Heisman winner or did did him winning the uh, – of course, playing against – for the defense anyway, him playing against another Heisman winner was a was a motivating factor. But, you know, a lot of people still felt that Tim Tebow should have been the Heisman winner in 2008 after he won in 2007. I can tell you I was one of them. Uh, you know, watching the Heisman watching the Heisman ceremonies and everything that year was, was pretty disappointing considering the season that he had and, and what we were going through as a team. But, you know, I, I think – it was the mentality and, and everybody says, man, is those six and 08 teams were so good. Um, he had so much talent, you know, he had so much skill. He had so much speed and, and you had urban Meyer and Dan Mullen. And, and that's great. Was, obviously they're not wrong, but at the same time, I, I think if you separated all that and you literally just peeked behind the curtains and saw the mindset of a football team and how they prepared every single day, whether it's a season or the off season, the thing about all those teams was their mentality, the mental toughness aspect. And I can't tell you how much money I would pay Mick Barati if, if I was a, you know, an athletic director, you know, I'm telling you right now for what he does from a mental toughness aspect and builds a team, him and Matt Bayless and his staff, those two years, you know, from 05 to, to 9, 10, they deserve some of the biggest credit for what we accomplished as a football team on the field. I actually think Percy should have been uh in in the in the runnings for it. Um, I uh, all respect to Tebow, he did a great job both years, but there's no way Percy Harvin, what he did uh in '08, he shouldn't have been some kind of way 
in the runnings, you know what I mean? Not even a candidate. So I can't really, on statistics, I can't really speak on him, Tim, statistics, and Sam's, but I know what Percy did that year. <laughs> so I think uh, I'll speak, but be an advocate for him and say he should at least be the candidate. Now, this one's a little bit different. You're playing in Miami against Oklahoma. Was there, could you guys sense the crowd difference going? You compare, you try and compare national championship games. And, and two years before that, as we, as we talked about, you had a heavy Ohio State crowd. Well, this one, this time you're playing in Miami. Gator fans didn't have to travel as far. The, the, the stadium was a lot of orange and blue uh, this time. Was that uh, something you guys noticed or was it just kind of business as usual? Not really. I, I wouldn't say in those bowl games, not really. Um, again, when you're in a bowl game, that's all the motivation you need. I don't, I mean, we could have been playing in Oklahoma and I think we would have still been just as motivated. We would have been just as riled up. Um, that kind of would have probably made it better. You know what I mean? We wouldn't have been as lax, you know, as comfortable during the week. Um, so I don't think it really plays a big part. I mean, it helps, you know, when you hear, you know, all the Gator, Gator love you're getting from the, from the crowd. But at the same time, I don't think it played that big of a part. No, I think, like I said, that 08 team lived for the spotlight. Uh, we knew exactly, we knew exactly who was going to show up to that game in full force. So, you know, the, the, the Gator nation was with us that night. I think we, we not only carried a lot of swag into that game, but probably for the first time of hearing about an opponent that, you know, could put us out of the, out of the race. Uh, I think we did actually carry a chip, you know, on our shoulder that game. you coming off an Alabama win, uh, against an Alabama team that could have easily probably won the national championship that year. Um, so for us, I think we didn't hear a lot about, Hey, Florida's really the team to beat. We didn't hear a lot about how good Florida was. We heard a lot about this explosive offense with Oklahoma. And, and I think for us, it was like, yeah, did anybody watch the sec championship game last week when, when we played Alabama, because if you wanted to see a title, you know, heavyweight fight, that was it. Um, and so for us, I think it, the biggest thing was to come out and when the lights turned on, man, we were ready to go. Well, we weren't sure going into that game when the lights turned on if Percy Harvin was going to be out there. Uh, wasn't 100%. He had that FSU game where he got hurt, uh, suffered an injury there versus the Seminoles. Um, how much did preparation change in, in that game, not knowing if Percy was going to be available or not? And how, in your mind, how close to 100% was he going into that game? Uh, you know, for me and, and everybody on our team, I think nothing really changed in the preparation on our end, you know, because you you, you can't really control whether a player is going to be able to go or not. And I think that you've got to find whatever the game plan is going to be. And you, you probably have one with him, one without him, but you approach the game no matter what, the way you have to. And that means your focus is full pledge on the game plan. Your preparation has to be on point and you can't really stray from that. Now I will say that, that, Nobody really knows the backstory to Percy during the, the, you know, from about the SEC championship game to the national championship game, just how much effort and work that he put in personal time that the strength staff and the training staff put in to get him ready to go. But I know he stayed on campus, um, Christmas vacation, Christmas break and all that. He was on campus working out and getting ready to go for that game. And I think the biggest thing that, that us as teammates look at that, he was doing everything he had to do to make sure he didn't let his brothers down. Um, and, and there's a lot of people who don't really understand, you know, what that takes, what kind of mindset that takes. But that was the mentality of every single person on that team. If there was a guy down, he'd do everything he could to get back on that field to make sure he didn't leave a gap uh, to cover in the rest of that game. 
I think he was around 75, 80. And, what it, and again, that's why I said uh, for him not even being a candidate, I've seen him do some things like he didn't practice at all leading up to that national title game. It was strictly rehab and just getting the ankle ready to go. But he didn't take practice with us probably at all. And then, I mean, you've seen what he did in the national title game. Mm-hmm. So, um, And we've seen him do it in the NFL where he didn't hardly any practice and gets out there uh, almost as the MVP of the uh, Super Bowl. So, I mean, he's a special athlete, man. He's probably easily, I could probably say, you know, even after playing in the NFL for a year and going to Canada, probably the best player I've ever played with and seen with my own two eyes because he's just able to do some things other people can't do. Um, so. Yeah, he's probably about 80%, though. Well, I'm sure the juices were already flowing, but if they weren't flowing, first Oklahoma drive, <laughs> throw down the sideline. There's a huge hit, major right, on an Oklahoma wide receiver down the sideline. Um, we've joked about it on social media before. There's something we, we could see Take Casey uh, <laughs> making sure the Oklahoma wide receiver uh, lets, lets him know that uh, he, he's over there by some gators and, and, and he just got his bell rung. So what did that hit do for you guys? Much kind of like the Earl Everett hit a couple years before that, but what did that hit do for you guys? And if you can, what did you say? Ball was in the air, and, and it's almost like you're a, you're an outfielder going back towards the wall. You're kind of looking at two places at once. You know, you're looking at the ball, but you're looking down. You're looking at the ball back at the wall. I, I'm looking at the ball, looking at Major, looking at the ball, and looking at Major, and I'm going, "Oh, this is about to be an explosion." <laughs> and uh, and I think you know probably as the ball's descending down, I, I kind of start my uh, oh, you know, happens right in front of you, and, and you, you know you got to give it to him. I mean, the guy's right on the sideline. You're gonna you're gonna give him an earful and make sure he doesn't uh, he doesn't forget that one for the rest of the game. You you've got to appreciate, you know, good good defensive play. You're you're hard pressed to find those once in a decade, you know, once in a once in an era type safety that can make those kind of plays. And Reggie Nelson was the first that I had played with. Uh, I, I think really. Major Wright kind of became that second and a different type of player, you know, a different type of skill set. But uh, it just whispering a few sweet nothings, you know, it wasn't wasn't much. I was just letting him make sure make sure he knew uh, that the safety wasn't going anywhere in the next three quarters. So for us, it, it, it is something that gets you fired up. You know, back back then you could make those kind of hits, and as a safety, you know, I imagine you you maybe live for forty years to hit. One person like that, you know, uh, and, and Major lined him up on the first drive. So for us, I think that really set the tone for the defense and, and the defense played about as good as you could have played all night. Um, and when you look at Ahmad Black and Joe Hayden and those guys, Janoris Jenkins, how they played and how they responded to it as a defensive unit. I mean, it, it was lights out for the rest of the night. Talking about a tone setter, man. And, uh, I, you know, again, I think he had our defense had all their receivers and backs on edge after that play. You know what I mean? Our crowd, our uh, sideline erupted and went crazy. Guys were almost on the field. I remember coaches having to hold guys back because we were trying to talk to the kid that was laying, the gra- laying on the ground. But, uh, again, they're talking about a big tone setter. Well, surprisingly, um, Tebow struggles early in the game. Two turnovers are early. Offense, both offenses can't really get going. Any worry for you guys of uh, of some early struggles by Tebow? No, I mean, again, you're talking about a team that was has supreme confidence. So we knew, especially when the defense is just stopping them, stopping them, they're not putting up any points, and they were high-powered all year. So we're turning the ball over, but they're not really capitalizing on it. You know, it's just one of those things where we knew if we could just get it rolling in the right direction, we'd be fine. And, you know, you never worry about Tim because he has supreme confidence. He knows he's just a play away from uh, making a special play. So you're not worried about him getting down on himself or anything like that. We're just, you know, just staying to course and uh, 
you know, trying to execute the next play. Now, you know, from o, from 06 to 08, you know, 05, I think we had a few games where menta- mentally you'd be on the sideline and, you know, I can recall Alabama would be a prime example. Mm. You know, Tyrone Prother went down to Alabama game, that, that, that memorable game in Tuscaloosa for, for me as a player and for a lot of guys that, that probably were at that game playing. Uh, the mental toughness I knew wasn't quite there um, as a team, but I think about halfway through that game, you don't check out of the game, but but mentally you're sitting there going, man, we're just, we're getting we're getting beat. You know, I'm not saying we're out of it, but you get about the third quarter, early fourth quarter, you start questioning and doubting a little bit as a team. After the 06 season started, until I graduated after the Oklahoma game, um, didn't have that once. And I think that, that that was really the championship level mentality we had that set in in the 06 offseason. And so, you know, going into halftime of that Miami game, or I mean, the championship game in Miami, the OU game, you know, there wasn't a, a shred of doubt that, that we, we had that game if we did what we needed to do. Obviously, you had turnovers. You had a couple, couple drives that we gave up some stuff on the defensive side of the ball. But the defense also had a couple of stout, stout uh, performances in the first half. And for us as an offense, I think we really took it upon ourselves at halftime that we got to step our game up. And the defense was doing exactly what they needed to do to give us an opportunity to win the game. We just needed to really step it up. And Tim, you know, Tim came in fired up and he was like, listen, no, no more, right? Part of that's on me. We know what we got to do. No more. We're going out in the second half. We got to get this done, and that, that's exactly what we did. Hey, right before that, as you said, right before halftime, the defense had its second of goal line stands uh, yeah. in that first half. Like, go back and you know, to me, you know, going back and being at the game and and um, and going back and watching those games as well. I think that that was the moment right there when we knew Oklahoma could score points all over the field, but they couldn't score them right there. It was at that point right there where you probably knew, right, no matter what happened, Florida was in good shape because of those two goal line stands. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, when you look at those you know, goal line stands in the DJ, you know, when you look at Brandon Spikes in that front seven, right, with Torrey Davis and, and Carlos Dunlap and some of the guys you had on that front seven, we had some great players. Um, I, I think that OU honestly started to second guess how good they were as a passing team um, because – you know, Bradford wasn't really threading the needle. You had Jermaine Gresham. You had a lot of good, capable receivers in the red zone for OU, and and they couldn't they couldn't get anything done. I think for us, as a as an offense, looking at it, going, all right, man, defense came to play. We we got to find a way to get our stuff together. And and I remember Steve Adazio, John Havasey, really kind of grouping us up as a front you know front line and tight ends and and even receivers and saying, listen. We've got to be absolutely flawless and play our game. The biggest thing we're not doing right now is executing the game plan. And so I think once we got that under control, there wasn't much to it. It's just a matter of going out against a really good team and a really good defense and getting it done. Our defense that year, I'm telling you, I, th- I thought it was special that we were able to even hold them down how we did. I mean, because you hear so much leading to that game, the fast break offense. I remember preparing that week we had to line up two offenses for the defense to make it, you know, game – game light so they can see the speed and how quick they get back to the line of scrimmage and all that good stuff there. And I think our defense and uh, the way Coach Strong prepared them, they handled it perfect. We'll focus on the defense uh, just a bit more too. 
Brandon Spikes, just talk about the leader, the kind of leader he was uh, on that side of the ball. Had some big plays during the season, right? LSU touchdown return uh, in, in that game. But he just kind of seemed to be the, the, the linchpin of, as you said, uh, the Hollywood guy. He's got, just kind of seemed to be the linchpin, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Me and Spikes were super close, still are super close. We talk a lot. He was the one that called me about my Hall of Fame stuff. And uh, so we talk a lot. So, you know, to me, he's just big, big teddy bear, uh, you know what I mean? But on the field, man, I remember vividly practices where we had the coach Meyer had to pretty much stop practice because he wouldn't stop hitting Tebow. He got so upset. It was a competitive drill where he felt like coach Meyer was cheap for the offense. So we, he wouldn't stop hitting Tebow or, you know what I mean? There's times where he's just laying guys out. I mean, and you know that he would literally have to either be taken out or we would have to stop practice sometimes because I mean, that's how physical he really was. And, uh, you know, he's just a monster, man. I remember one time I had to blitz pick up, me and him. And he would always, we call it brother-in-law in football. If we're cool, we kind of take it easy on each other, especially on your own team. Well, one time I had to pick him up, and he had, this was a day where he had blanked out. And, I mean, he ran through me. And after the play, I'm like, man, what's going on? He's like, man, I, you know, I blanked out. I forgot it was you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, those are the stories, man, where, like, dude, you do not want to step in front of him because uh, he's a Mack truck, man, I'm telling you. You get those guys in college football all the time. I think the difference is you, you you have a hard time finding the ones that can do that and back it up with with solid play every single game. And uh, and Brandon Spikes from from a leadership standpoint, like I say, he, he demanded that everybody lived up to that expectation on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it makes it a lot easier too when you've got guys like Carlos Dunlap and and Justin Trotto and those guys up front. Uh, but he did he did a hell of a job as a leader, and he was one of those guys who was fearless. And and you'd be You'd be hard pressed to find a middle linebacker that, you know, 240, 245, that can carry through a hole and blow up a 320 pound offensive lineman off his feet. And, uh, you know, I can tell you he did it in practice. Yeah, it wasn't just in games. I mean, he did that and he practiced that way. And there's a reason he played as good as he did on Saturdays. I'm telling you, Spikes is one of those guys where you hear about guys in the NFL who are kind of like super competitive and you see like guys talking trash on the sideline, like, He's like that 24-7. He's the ultimate competitor. You want him on your team. I'm talking about – I mean, some of the things that he's, he's done is noted you know, from the Georgia incident, um, just how super – I mean, and to me, none of that is, you know, outrageous because this football is what we grew up on. That's how he grew up, and that's just how he played the game. He wanted to get the advantage. He wanted to taunt guys if he had to, if he thought it would intimidate him. Anything he could do to have the advantage, um, he was all for it, and – I think a lot of teams were scared of them. <laughs> I'd say probably the biggest surprise for that 08 team, of course, the 07 defense kind of took a step back. Uh, but, you know, some young guys, Joe Hayden, who made the conversion to cornerback, you know, didn't play that position. And then Jordan Norris Jenkins, who's a freshman out there making plays, and they're making they're going against this high-powered Oklahoma offense, but those guys are out there holding their own. Well, Janoris, man, I'm going to speak on him first because to be a freshman and play the way he played all year was just special. I remember him coming in. And I remember us being, being uh, we're doing one-on-ones in practice. He would always tell me and Percy to get up. And because he wanted to go against smaller, quicker guys, we felt like he couldn't really handle, you know what I mean? But that was special to me in itself because normally freshmen are just kind of like, you know, passive and taking things as they, as they come. And he was calling guys out, hey, no, I want Percy. I want Brandon, you know what I mean? Um, and that was, you know, again, to, for him to be a freshman, he played the way he played all year. That was just, I mean, it showed – how big Pahokee ball is. <laughs> Joe came in as a receiver, really, and to learn the de uh, defensive back, the, the, to play DB the way he did, and um, him hold down hold down his side the way he did for three years, man. 
it just shows, I mean, showing now he's still playing in the NFL, but it shows the type of athlete and competitor he was because, again, I remember when Joe came in, he was playing offense at first, they switched him to defense, was kind of was kind of grasping it, but struggling. Then you snap your fingers in the next year, he's, you know, a starter for a national championship team. So um, all those guys, man, were supreme athletes. It's really, really special players. I'm pretty sure Joe Hayden's glad with that decision. Oh, yes. Um, he's st- still playing in the league right now, so he, he's uh, he's had a good couple paydays. But uh, I don't know if, if we will – I don't want to say I doubt we'll ever see anybody play the cornerback position as good pound for pound, but pound for pound as a defensive player, Joe Hayden is the best I've been around. Um, and, and Reggie Nelson is probably right there with him. But, I mean, Joe Hayden, pound for pound, is probably one of the strongest um, strongest skill set player that I've ever seen. Um, he still plays that way in the NFL today. But, man, he, he shows up and he shows up for the spotlight. Janoris Jenkins, very similar. Uh, the swagger and just the, the, the complete attitude they play with, it's fearless. And I think that that's one thing that the 08 defense had. They, they had that tenacity. You know, they had that fearless mentality that there wasn't anybody you could put in front of them that, that was going to, you know, throw a hitch in the game plan. So, you know, when, when you look at the defensive staff, the game plan was always on cue and you had the players to back it up. Probably one of the more images that sit in my head is just how big Sam Bradford's eyes get when Ahmad Black makes that late interception where <laughs> it looks like it's almost maybe going to be an incomplete pass, but uh, by the time both players get up, somehow Ahmad Black rips the ball away from the offensive player, and, and, you know, and that kind of just sets up Florida uh, that, to go on and win the national championship. But that uh, that interception was uh, just kind of out, out of nowhere, and, out, and, and it's so funny to see how Sam Bradford couldn't even believe that it had happened. Ahmad, man, I, he's another guy that I've seen go through a lot, and I know it was special for him and it was special for me seeing him because I remember he was like at the bottom of the totem pole out of all the Lakeland guys that came in and for him again to snap his fingers and then you know he's a starter at safety having you know the most picks out of all those guys and all that stuff there man it just shows that a lot of guys like myself and Amai were just you know bred off hard work you know what I mean some of the guys were highly recruited we had some guys that weren't as highly highly touted but at the same time, we all were competitive and winning the mentality that, you know, everyone could be special as long as we work. And um, I think, you know, the plays that everyone made in that game and that whole year kind of just showed. We had a ball hawk mentality on defense. You know, I think you look at the turnover, the turnover ratio in our season was was pretty phenomenal in 2008. I think 2006 was very similar too, right? A lot of, a lot of turnovers. We didn't give the ball up too much. We took care of the football. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that by Ahmad Black between between the major right hit, the Ahmad Black interception, and then the David Nelson jump pass 2.0 um, was probably the three biggest things that resonate in your mind from that game, or at least three of the bigger ones in mine. Um, just a big big play moments, momentum swings, um, and, and of course you seal it with the with the jump pass to David Nelson puts us in a position to go out and, and hold and we're good to go. Let's go to that jump pass, of course, near and dear to your heart, the, the play itself. Uh, so go back to 06 first versus LSU. Uh, how does that play work out? It was a lot more uh, unathletic than the 08 one, I can tell you that much. But, uh, you know, a, a great moment, obviously, in a game that that we needed bad. Uh, when, in every October, if you're a Florida fan, a Florida player, you know 
what the schedule holds. You got, you know, you start early with Tennessee and you got to get through an early East game uh, to kind of put you on track. But then in the middle of the season, right in the heart of October, you've got to go through a gauntlet of, uh, you know, Georgia, LSU at that year in 06 was Auburn. You know, it's about four weeks in a row that we really were testing ourselves with top 10 teams. And so for us, I think uh, that 06 game, what really resonates, I think, was the game, the flow at the moment. You know, when when you you hold LSU on the goal line and get the ball back and then you come down, Reggie Nelson has some huge hits. We get the ball back on interception. You come back down the field and face a few penalties and the clock's ticking away, ticking away, ticking away. And, you know, Urban is always notorious for or Urban, I should say Urban and Dan and our offensive coaches at the time. Very notorious for pulling out the right place for the right moments. And uh, that was one of those that just. I'm not sure why it resonates so much. I think it, it's just the moment of the game and how bad we needed points on the board um, in a game where, you know, touchdowns are going to be very, very slim uh, to come by. So uh, the biggest thing for me, I think, is just the, the pause for effect moment when the ball's in the air and then the eruption. I, I think that that's why most fans that were at that game remember it so well. Um, and, and really, obviously, for me, a very great moment in my career and, and something that I'll never forget. The one in 08 to, to win the national championship. How was that? Of course, it goes to a wide receiver in David Nelson, but how was that play? How different was it? Was it the same exact play, just a different player? Uh, but go take us from 06 to 08 in the, in the jump pass. A little, a little bit different setup, uh, you know, as opposed to fullback tight end. Had a couple of heavies with, with Javier Stopinon and a couple of guys in there to kind of decoy the, the heavy run game play. And then, of course, you have David Nelson, who, you know, came on strong at the end of that 08 season. Uh, had a lot to do with why we were in that position in the first place. Not a huge recognition type of guy, but he's always one of those attention to detail players. You know, ran crisp routes, uh, did exactly what you needed him to do, was a special teams guy, a lot of trust between the coaching staff and, and him. And so he's a perfect guy for for being the recipient of that. You know, I, I think uh, if I was play calling, I think you call it to the tight end and give me a little love in my last game. But at the same time, I can't, I can't complain about, you know, throwing it to the, to the other Texan out wide. And, uh, for me, great moment for me, cause I had a lot to do with hoping David would come to Florida, you know, as a Texas guy and a guy that I recruited, uh, on his recruiting trip to get him here. That, that was big moment for me. Cause I was so proud of him to have that moment in such a big, big game. 24-14 final score for Florida Oklahoma was it was it a closer and, and lower lower scoring game than, than you guys expected both high flying offenses Florida scoring in the 40s Oklahoma scoring in the 50s and lo and behold it's a 10 point win 24-14 you know I think for us to uh knowing how good their defense was knowing exactly what we were about we knew it was going to be a tough game uh we knew that that was going to be one of those games you had to earn one way or another uh, I think that their expectation was it was going to be more of a walkover on defense, seeing as they were averaging 60-plus points a game. So for us to win, we'd have to score, you know, 40. But I think the defense did everything we needed them to do uh, and more. And so, you know, when the defense plays lights out the way they did, it, it really puts you in a position as an offense to just try and maintain the flow of the game. Um, in the last few drives, I think we really did a good job of stretching the field out, uh, you know, taking some clock time and, and playing it the way we needed to. But – you know, I I always tell people it doesn't matter how you win a game. Mm. You know, you a win's a win, uh, and if you're playing a national championship game, it even furthers that point because you find a way to dig and claw yourself out no matter what, as long as you win. And so, 
you know, for us, it could have been 24 to 23. We would have been just happy with that. You always think you're going to blow somebody out. So I definitely think we were confident enough to feel like if we came out and executed at a high level, that it wouldn't be close. But again, you stated earlier, we had some turnovers early. We didn't execute the way we did throughout the whole game. So I think those are things that contributed to the uh, score being a little closer than it should. Bringing home a, a second title in three seasons, you know, how was this season, the 2008 season, this national championship? What was your thoughts after that game, living in that moment, of course, and how was it different than the 06 one? Seeing in 06 what, what the process led us to, you know, when Urban came in and, and harped on buy, the buy-in, harped on the, the mental toughness and, and how to be a championship caliber football team, we, we didn't know any better. You know, we were just hungry. We knew we were talented. We knew we had some guys who, who could, if we put it together, could play some good ball. And then we saw what that looked like. Uh, the 08 team, we knew exactly what we had. You know, we knew we had championship caliber mentality. We knew we had the players. We had everything. Um, I, I think for me, being a senior who was a redshirt senior, redshirting my senior year. So I wasn't supposed to be there in a way. You know, for me, I, I redshirted the season before and had three surgeries in about nine months. So I was just happy to, to be, you know, granted another year um, to be a part of that. Um, and so the difference, I think, for me is we knew exactly – what our identity was. Whereas in, in 06, we really didn't know any better, but you couldn't tell us that there was anybody you could put across from us that could beat us. In 08, we just knew you couldn't. Uh, and we almost challenged you to try. You're older and your stamp is really kind of on that one because again, you know, as freshmen, we're kind of just wet behind the ears, just following the lead of the seniors. And, but as a junior, you know, you're seasoned vets that, you know, went through a tough year, not really knowing how to prepare for a season. Now you go through a tough offseason and now you're back. And the proof shows that hard work is going to get you through whatever because we know for a fact how hard it was that offseason. And it all paid off getting back to the national, uh, the national title game. And, you know, a lot of us had a lot of accolades and awards after the season. So, again, man, it just showed if you work hard, anything's possible. A lot of fun talking with those guys there, reliving the great memories for, for Gator Nation. Remember, you can watch the 2008 National Championship game on Gators Rewind Saturday night at 8 p.m. WJXT in Jacksonville. If you're not in the area, you can stream the game at newsforjacks.com or our virtual watch party. You can find that there at newsforjacks.com as well. Plenty of ways uh, to get involved and watch uh, Florida beat Oklahoma uh, once again. And that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.